This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Welcome to this qualification meeting. I'm a food addict from Melbourne, Australia. I'm your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Cannot believe that I'm here today. Um, it's, this is as far from what I thought I would be doing six years ago um, in the food lost in the world. Um, I pinch myself at every FA meeting because I just have to check that this is real, what's happening, and I'm kind of feeling it now. Um, so grateful to be a food addict so grateful to be afflicted with this disease and to, and to know it and to accept it and to work this program like my life depends on it. So um, my statistics um, in pounds, um, you measure in kilos, um, in pounds I was 225 pounds when I came in. I'm about 175 pounds now. So it's 102.2 kilos and now 80.4 kilos. And um, I'm around that weight, plus or minus a couple of pounds um, for the last almost six years, five and a half years. And that's a miracle because, like I said, before I walked into these rooms, arrogant, stubborn, pig-headed, a lot fatter, I'm angry, resentful, feeling totally, totally inadequate. I don't feel like that anymore. And where I found this drug, the food, I could get it anywhere, whenever I wanted it, whatever I wanted it. Now I don't have to do that ever again. So my story starts... I guess I saw food addiction when I, when, I was, when I first remember. I have two parents who are morbidly obese. My mother in particular. Um, ever since I remember, I thought was just she was big and fat and ugly and grotesque and I watched what she did with her food and what she did to her body and I was just disgusted by it. I thought it was ugly. And I swore black and blue, I'll never, ever look like that. I mean, how ridiculous. Just stop putting that food in your body. Like, it should be that easy. 
little to, little was I to know what I'd be getting up to. But my father as well, he was probably one of the fittest, fattest guys that were going around in Melbourne. Um, yeah, he was, he was a workaholic and he used food just like I learned. So I had these role models. So... I grew up the oldest of four children and also being um, feeling like I had a lot of pressure to prove to my parents or to achieve things that my parents would never do themselves. They wanted me to do it. So I had a lot of pressure, the oldest of four siblings, and I felt like I could never do anything right. So it was either the way I walked down the parquetry floors or the way I slammed the front door or the fact that the toilet seat was left up and that was my fault, the fact that I had so many friends ring and leave messages for me, that was my fault. I could never do anything right. I felt totally inadequate. I felt totally useless. And I tried so hard to please my mother, so hard. And it just never worked. We had periods of... Of, of peace, but it never worked. I always ended up like I was the, on the end of the, the bad end of the bargain. My father was a workaholic. He would leave at 4:30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and wouldn't come home till 8 o'clock at night, 8:30. And I remember being six or seven years old. I'd wait for him at the back door. I'd wait. I just needed to see my dad. And I'd wait there and I'd greet him. I'd grab onto his legs, whatever I could grab onto, and all he wanted to do. Just go and sit down for dinner, eat his meal, go to sleep and start the whole process over again. So I had a mother who I felt hated me and I really felt like I was hated. I actually, they had the newborn photos. For some reason, there was no newborn photo of me but my siblings had them. So I was convinced that she hated me so much she didn't have a baby photo of me and must have been adopted. I was convinced of it. And my father, I just didn't have love. So my father, who I craved his love, I remember I always used to want him to come and watch me play. I was a very active child, play sport. And there was one day um, he came and drove me, after a lot of duress, he came and drove me to the game and I thought I had a really good game. I said, Dad, Dad, how'd I go? And he said, I'm sorry, I was asleep. I was asleep in the car. And I didn't remember that day until I walked into these rooms and I put down the food. <laughs> and it's amazing what, what flows when I don't have a drug to take me away from all my feelings. So I grew up with this unspoken, I was never able to talk about feelings of jealousy, feelings of being hated, feelings of not being good enough. I grew up uh, at school, I had guts in my teeth. I had, when I had hair, I had a cowlick. Um, I was kind of a bit pudgy at school and I always thought I was ugly. And I remember one day I went up to my mother and I said, I'm ugly. She said, no, you're not. You're my son, you're beautiful. And even then, my cry for help she just didn't want to go there. It was just brushed aside. So I lived, I grew up in this life <laughs> having no one 
to talk to about how I felt, about anything. If I got excited, like dad, mum, I got like 100% on an exam, I got an A or whatever it was, it was don't worry about it. What about the next one? Like everything, the ups, the downs, they were just cut out. So I had no place to take my emotion. And I found a place to take my emotion. <laughs> it grows on trees and it comes out of the earth and it's manufactured, it's food, it's a drug. And it is like, for me, it's like I'd imagine an alcoholic with alcohol or a drug addict shooting up on heroin. I don't know what that feels like other than what it feels like. That when I feel so down and so inadequate and so miserable that I've got something that can take that away straight away. And I've got certain foods that I can go and find that give me a rise when I'm feeling depressed and when I'm feeling elated I've got these other foods that just sedate me and bring me back into this equilibrium, this balance. And it's really interesting, I, I was, um, through my corporate career, I've always been looking for a mentor and I found this one guy, he, I just thought he was amazing because he operated in this little zone of, of like peace and calm. I never saw him get angry, I never saw him get sad, I just, he was in his zone and that's what I wanted and that's what food did for me. I could go into this zone and nobody would think otherwise. Because part of me, part of my story as well is these feelings of not being able to take them anywhere. I needed, I needed to. And I was so scared to show the emotion that I'd, be, I'd start to this unravel into this vicious cycle of being incapacitated if I let my emotions get the better of me. So I had to be strong and food gave me this strength. A real false sense of security. So that was, that was my... My home life and, and home was, was, for me, scary. It was a scary place. And the older I got, the harder it got because the expectations became even more rigorous. And, um, yeah, my haven was my bedroom. It was my bedroom. I'd go and find my food, food that, that actually worked for me. I'd go into my room upstairs with my food. I'd turn on the music as loud as I could, to piss my parents off. And I'd sit there, and all the worries in the world, they seemed to go away. I guess I was fortunate, or unfortunate, it depends which way you look at it. A very active child, I could eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and a bit of exercise, it would come off. Um, my friends thought I was like miraculous. The fact that I, I call it gallons here, I probably had between two and three gallons of soft drink a day. So before alcohol, they thought that was a real amazing party trick. But later on in life, I became so addicted to that sugar hit that I got from, from that product. At 2.30 in the morning, I'd wake up and I needed my drug. That drug normally gives people a rise that sedated me somehow. 2.30 in the morning, waking up, going to the refrigerator, pulling out soft drink, a stimulant. It's not normal and I couldn't not do it. 
I needed this thing. I needed it to touch the tip of my tongue because when it did that, it made me feel invincible and unbreakable. But I, well, I didn't feel invincible and I felt totally broken. So I, I, my first recollection of having a problem with food was probably when I was about nine years old. I was at school in the dressing rooms after swimming and one of my so-called friends decided to make fun of me and the creases in my stomach. And at that stage I thought I had no problem in, with my food whatsoever. And that was the first moment that I thought I might have a problem like my mother and my father. And I ignored it. <laughs> because again, I could exercise, I could pull this, this food off and it didn't show. But that was years and years, probably a decade or so, a decade or two, of eating whatever I wanted whenever I wanted because I had exercise. And I learnt really amazing techniques to moderate. I put on some weight, I could exercise it off. And there's a million stories of that. But we moved from Melbourne, we moved it to Sydney um, for five years for, for a career opportunity. And I moved up there um, at that stage we had one child, um, he was about two and a half years old. I was really embarrassed to meet people. It's a great way to meet people when you've got a child and childcare and meeting parents. It's embarrassed. You see, my pet, what I had, that vision of my parents, for me, my body image was always, always something I thought I could manage. I couldn't manage the cowlick, I couldn't manage my big nose, I couldn't manage the teeth, my teeth, but I could manage my weight. That was really important for me. So I was embarrassed. So really it took me to get into extreme exercise and I'd wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, travel 20 minutes to go to a troop training session for an hour and a half, three times a week, where this guy would absolutely flog me and, and, my, and my counterparts for an hour and a half. This guy, interestingly, he asked me to write down my food as well and he wanted to check it every single week. And really interesting, interestingly, um, it worked. For about six months, I followed his regime. I worked my backside off. I wrote down my food and I showed him. And he said, you look good. I don't need to see your food anymore. I come inside over the next day <laughs> where I felt the liberty that I could just eat whatever I wanted and my weight went back up. In Sydney as well, weight bet went back up, which is a trend of mine, the roller coaster, with higher peaks and troughs and higher peaks. And I found one of the most well-renowned naturopaths in Australia, quite a personality, and I went to her every week. She introduced me to organic food, and I actually had never heard of some of the foods she asked me to eat, but same deal. She asked me to have five meals a day. She asked me to write down my food, and I did exactly what she said. I'm very compliant when I know it's going to be results. I can really white-knuckle that stuff. She asked me to do that, and I did it. And some of the things I ate were putrid, but I did it. And... It was interesting, some of the foods she asked me to eat were really what we'd call definitely not abstinent food and snack foods, but they're disguised because 
They're really good for your skin. They've got lots of natural oils. And I had eczema before I found this program, really bad eczema. Um, and it was debilitating. I needed to have steroid shots to actually get rid of this eczema. It was so debilitating. But yeah, this was, this was going to get rid of my eczema, natural oils in my body. And I did it. She said just a handful of these things. A handful for a food addicts. That was interesting to watch the next few weeks because my handful, my probably palmful to start with because I was so conscious, became a heaped palm full. And it became, I found this really interesting technique that if I could spread my fingers enough and put the products into my hand and heap it, I'm going to get a whole lot more for meal two and meal four. And then I said, bugger it, I'll just have the bag. Um, but that's kind of what I'm like with food. I cannot be trusted around food, ever. That's why I need this program. I can't be trusted. I proved over and over and over again I could do it for a period of time on my own. On my own for a period of time. But really, I'm powerless over food. I'm powerless over a lot of things in my life. But I'm really powerless over food. So... Um, so my life rolled on and um, was married, had two children for my wife, had a third child for my wife. I was working a, cor- a corporate career and the whole concept of inadequacy and not feeling good in my skin and needing to prove to everybody that this guy I'm pretty amazing. If you don't know it, I'm pretty amazing. You watch me. You watch my career. I'm going to take off. And if you don't think I'm something now, you wait three years or five years or ten years. You'll see my name in the, in the newspapers. I'm going to be special. You see, I struggled with that inadequacy. I felt so low in my self-esteem. I didn't need people to like me. I didn't need people to love me. I needed them to revere me. And that's hard work. That's really hard work. To go home every night and to be in the corporate world and to feel so low in self-esteem and to need to control people and manipulate people and to be arrogant and to be angry and to be resentful and to try and control every situation every single day. To go home at night to a wife and three children where I really questioned my love and what am I doing here was really hard work. No wonder I had this drug of food that I could go and get what I wanted when I wanted. But I had the challenge that my body image meant so much to me. So the scales, I'm ruled by the scales now, I was ruled by the scales then. I would weigh myself as a male, which I don't think is normal every morning and every night. On the weekends it was great because I could weigh myself before and after meals and try and guess how much I was going to consume. But those scales and the routine of putting the scales on the same four tiles and making sure they're balanced and calibrated was a a mission in itself. 
But if that scale showed 100 grams or a bit of a pound up, my life, my day was miserable. And the sad and scary thing was if that scale showed a little bit less, it was like I hit the jackpot and I could eat whatever I wanted today today as well. So I was on a hiding to nothing with these scales. And this really amazing naturopath who cost me a lot of money, she had a great idea. Um, she, she sent me to some other lady. I don't even know what this lady was. But she said, it cost me about $350 to see this lady. I think she was a bit of a career guidance lady, um, spiritual guru of some sort. I don't even know. I, I just went there, paid the money. She gave me two pieces of advice. She threw the scales away was the first piece of advice. That was going to be hard. The other piece of advice she said was, when you go home tonight and every meal, I want you to leave just a little bit of food on your plate. <laughs> and, and I left there with every intent to leave, to what she said, to leave a little bit of food on my plate. And it was a 15 minute drive home. I tried. I tried the first time, I couldn't do it, I needed my second plate, which I didn't leave anything either. I never left anything on my plate, ever, because I needed food. I needed food to help me with my fear, doubt and insecurity. The absolute overwhelming feelings of inadequacy and the absolute self-hatred. Look at my life. Where am I? My first sponsor asked me something which is really, really pertinent. He said, Adam, how do you have fun? I didn't know how to answer him. Fun? I've got to impress people. I've got, I've got places to go. I've got to be revered by people. So, I've got so many stories of being in the food and being out of control and getting into my vicious cycle where I hated myself so much and I had my drug I could go and find and it made me feel better for a moment and then the moment would pass and I'd feel that hatred and I'd look at my body I felt so bad the only thing that took it away was more food and for me the extra 45 pounds or 50 pounds some people ask me and I walked in the room why are you here? you don't look so big that felt like 200 pounds to me every single day of living memory for me was a battle about my body image and the food that I wanted to eat that I couldn't eat the food that I ate that I shouldn't have eaten it was a battle so I found these rooms through an act of God lots of acts of God and it's changed my life in not even six years not even six years can't believe what's happened but the way I found these rooms 
is what you'd call a power example. The power example for my wife had struggled for years. I was in this program for two years and I watched someone that I love change physically. That was impressive. But it wasn't as impressive as the soul that I saw being revealed. I watched. I supported. And went to a few meetings to support her. I remember sitting in one meeting. It was a cold winter's day. And I listened to these stories from these people. And I sat in the back, petrified that someone was going to talk to me because I might catch their disease. And I sat there and it was like a knife through my heart. Every single person that spoke. In my heart, it was turning this knife in my heart and it was like ripping it out. And I left there and my wife asked me, what did you think? And I said, it was was cold. There was no warmth in the room. It was clinical. And I ended up going to another public information session with my wife and my mother and to support them. And I remember this lady who was on the panel speaking came up to me in the break and she looked up at me and she's a horticulturalist and she looked up at me and she said, are you thinking about doing this? And I wanted to say, what would you know about me and my life? What would you know? And that's the arrogance that I had. I would condemn everybody. Prior to investigation. So I was on a trip with my wife, driving up, and we flew up the east coast of Australia to a tropical destination for a getaway. And there was an FA meeting. And I was actually kind of convinced in this 12-step stuff and I was meeting with a fellow's husband while they had their meeting. We met for breakfast and this guy was in Eleanor. And I was inspired about a 12-step life because I haven't got a problem with food because if you think I'm fat now, I'll work it off, no problem. I'm, I'm a really capable guy. So I left this meeting with this guy and this holiday, convinced that I was going to do Al-Anon and I went back to my room, my study at home and I printed off all the Al-Anon meetings around where I live at home and it was in front of where I work in my study and I'm very visual and I looked at these meetings for probably two or three months. Never went to an Al-Anon meeting. I had spoken to a few people in FA, a few guys in FA in Sydney And on one Sunday, I spoke to a gentleman who became my first sponsor. And I went to my first meeting the next day. (laughs) And that's the day my life changed. That's the day that my bravado and the arrogance and the facade that I had started to break down and I started to let the sunlight into my soul 
and let authenticity come out. I don't even know how this works. I really don't know how it works. I know what I need to do because I get it from this program, this very, very simple program. And I actually don't need to get it. I was talking to a sponsee the other day. This sponsee was really trying to intellectualise it. It was kind of like an IQ test. And I stopped and I said to her, let's call it an AQ test. She said, what's an AQ test? So it's an action quotient. This program for me is about action. It's about what I do, not what I say, not what I know, it's what I do. And it's the doing things that help me connect to the God of my understanding. It helps me grow into the person that I want to be. <laughs> you know, I don't know how it works. So how life has changed. I have four children now. The fourth one's for me. <laughs> and my wife too. I have four children, four treasures, who I really thought were terrorists beforehand. <laughs> but they're treasures. It's funny. I was getting changed before. Changed from what I was wearing before for this. And I put on my shoe <laughs> and there was a little googly eye in my shoe for one of my kids' toys. <laughs> so my kids are here with me. They're on the other side of the world now and it's quarter past four in the morning. Now I miss my kids. I didn't miss my kids before. Eh? That's a gift. The pain of having three children and not loving them and perpetuating what my father did, going to work at 4.30 in the morning and coming home at 8 o'clock at night, not wanting to see my kids, just keep on rolling next day after the next day. As callous as it was, that's what I wanted to do because I was so empty. That's all I had. The relationship I have with my wife it's kind of, we keep on finding new world's best practices. Just by fronting up and working this program, I find new ways to engage. It's not perfect. But it gets better and better. My relationship with my parents, again, just by putting down the food, my relationship with my parents, when I came into these rooms, I was not talking to my parents and my siblings. And I seriously thought that had I, if I ne was never going to talk to my parents ever again, no big deal. So now it's very different. Again, not perfect. But I ring my mother and my father just to say hello. And I'm thinking of them. It took them a while to get used to the fact that I wasn't ringing for something. But I love the fact that I can be there for them in spirit. My relationship, I need to talk about my relationship just in the world. I'm pretty high functioning. I've got an end-to-end -end life. I've got, a, I've got a big opportunity. I've, 
Well, I actually need to just jump back a second because 12 months ago my worst nightmare came real, came, came, came to reality about my career. I lost my job. I got sacked from my job 12 months ago. My worst nightmare. <laughs> and I walked out of that room, that meeting with my boss, totally unannounced. And he said, I was there for three and a half months. He said, you no longer required. No reason. No knowledge. Walked out of there. My abstinence intact. Somehow I knew I was going to be okay. It was goddamn hard. But here I am today in a job honestly I couldn't have dreamt of. And I'm becoming really uniquely useful to people. And that authenticity that I speak about, the spirituality, the experience I'm having in these rooms from, again, weighing and measuring my food, <laughs> doing the things that our performance, our simple program suggests, I'm having an impact on people and I have to control. Sitting in front of a room of 16 people a day after being absolutely abused by the owner of my organisation, and able to set a boundary and say, you don't need to talk to me like that. And he kept on going. I said, you don't need to talk to me like that. And walking out of that room and having a laugh and saying, God, you've got a sense of humour because clearly you think I can handle this. (laughs) And the next day to sit down with my team and some of their teams and explain to them what I went through and to cry in front of my subordinates and to look around the room and to see them crying. That's powerful stuff. That's abstinence at work. So... I've got to finish up. There's so much more to say. But really the gist is this program for me is so special, so sacred. First sponsor. I met him, he was from Sydney and he came to see me in Melbourne one day at his hotel room and we got to the lift and he said to me, Adam, this is the keys to the kingdom. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But this really, these really are the keys to the kingdom. I'm really grateful for me to come to the other side of the world. I've been, this is my fourth convention. To come here, I'd pay so much money to get this injection. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the frontier. Kind of on the frontier. But to come across here and get that injection from the people in this room, to get that sense of authenticity, that sense of calmness, that sense of serenity, that sense of love, self-love and humility, that's what I want. Yeah, thank you. After a moment of silence, Please join me in serenity prayer.
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.